Hello, Dancewell listeners. This is Ellie Kushner, and welcome to the final episode of Season 3. Perhaps while quarantined, you, or a dancer you know, was anxious about maintaining jump skills, then came across people hopping on and off of boxes on Instagram and thought, should I do that? Enter plyometrics. In this episode, I speak to Rob Sy, DPT, about plyometrics, and he explains the relevance and value of this form of resistance training for dancers. Originally from Taipei, Taiwan, Rob received his doctorate in physical therapy from Chapman University in 2018 and is currently practicing in Anaheim, California. Rob's introduction to movement began while breaking in high school and continued his movement exploration at Chapman University as an undergraduate student studying ballet, jazz, and modern dance techniques. Rob spent eight years auditioning and working in the LA commercial dance industry, represented by Movement Talent Agency and Block. As an educator, witnessing the positive effects of movement on students inspired Rob to pursue a second career in physical therapy. Rob is a firm believer in elevating the independence, self-awareness, and knowledge of health and wellness for dancers. He seeks to connect the science to the artist through dance prehab. Rob has presented his research and co-taught movement sessions alongside Dr. Van Ramshort at conferences for the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science, as well as the Performing Arts Medicine Association. Currently, Rob is completing a research study which examines low back pain and breakers. So now, without further delay, I bring you Plyometrics. Buckle your seatbelt. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. And today, you are in for traction. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, today we're talking about plyometrics, and let's start with just defining that term. What is plyometrics? Is it just a fancy name for jumping? So plyometrics, if we break down the word itself to its Latin roots, you get plyo and you get metric. Plyo meaning to increase and metric meaning measure. Therefore, when we think about plyometrics, it's going to be increase the measurement. Yes. So um, plyometrics are going to be an aspect of resistance training. If you find resistance training, you'll find a lot of different types of methods of resistance training. And plyometrics is one of these. So when people talk about plyometrics, generally, we think about jumping. So like you said, is it just a fancy name for jumping? Uh, at the root of the word, sure. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to training, there's like an entire science and anatomy and physiology behind this. So it's, it's jumping, yes, but it's also purposeful training, right? So the purpose of plyometric exercise is really when we talk about jump training, quote unquote, you know, this is to really think about improving like nerve muscle reactions. You're thinking about improving your explosiveness when you have to produce these kinds of movements and ultimately it's really about you know for dancers you know talking about not just jumping high but also being able to move fast and also like quick in you know multiple directions yeah you could say it's like a fancy name for jumping but i guess you could also say like like you know walking is controlled falling 
<laughs> oh, how very modern dancer of you. Yeah. Um, so a couple questions about things you, you've just said. I love that, you know, purposeful training, because that's really what all cross training is about, right? It's that purposeful training. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned explosiveness and speed. And do you want to just explain to people the relationship between sort of explosiveness and power and speed? Got it. So when we talk about uh, explosiveness, especially in terms of plyometric training, um, we have to talk about kind of how our body responds to uh, external loads and external stress and how, how we can use that to create movement. So, um, so we'll dive in a little bit deeper here, but if we're thinking about jumping uh, and specifically to, to plyometrics, there's, a, there's this concept called the stretch shortening cycle or the SSC, right? So this is defined as a like quick, powerful movements and you're creating these quick, powerful movements by really utilizing the pre-stretch phase. I'm gonna go into all of these a little bit, <laughs> break it down. Um, so, so there are two ways to think about uh, plyometrics right now, two main theories, and that is we have a mechanical method and we also have a neurophysiological method. Now, when we talk about mechanical, this is where we talk about um, what we call a series elastic component. And a lot of this, the series elastic component is going to be uh, referring to your muscle and your tendons, so musculotendinous components. And what we're really talking about here is the ability to, to utilize the elastic energy that is within these musculotendinous compounds, right? So if you think about the, um, let's say, the Achilles tendon, for example, um, whenever we jump and land, you are going to stretch your calf muscles and you're also going to stretch your Achilles tendon, right? So um, think of it as a rubber band. You stretch, you're going to produce uh, a bit of energy storage within your, your tendons and your muscles. And then when you release, that's when you utilize that energy. So, so that's like the mechanical side of it, right? You're just talking strictly like uh, muscle and tendon. There is also a neurophysiological component to consider, and that is you know, involving your nervous system and how, how your body responds, how your body responds to information that it's taking in. So aside from just muscles and tendons, we also have various sensory units to consider. Now, we have, and the, the two we'll talk about here are your muscle spindles and your GTOs or your Golgi tendon organ. So we have our muscle spindles and these are, these muscle spindles are within our muscle, which sense stretching of the muscle and through, through nerve communication, back to the spinal cord, back to the muscle itself, the, the stretching of the muscle results in a, what we say, like a reflex contraction of the muscle that was initially stretched, right? So I will explain this a little bit in terms of like the different phases, but the faster the rate of this stretch, right? The faster we can stretch, the stronger the signal from this muscle spindle, therefore the greater the contraction. Now to translate that over to jumps, right? The faster your stretch, the, um, the, the stronger the signal going back to the muscle, the more power you can produce, the more contraction is happening and hopefully 
the higher we can jump or the more powerful our jumps. And now we have our Golgi tendon organs or your GTOs now. And these are found in your musculotendinous junctions, right? So where your muscles and your tendons are connecting. And the primary goal of your GTOs are really to protect from excessive amounts of tension in the muscle. Um, so when it comes to plyometric training, you know, we're looking to increase the ability for your body to react, but also simultaneously desensitize uh, the Golgi tendon organ or your GTOs in order to maximize power production, right? Maximize the efficiency of movement. So when it comes to plyometric training, we generally look at three different phases, and these are your eccentric, your amortization, and your concentric phases. So there are three phases here, and we'll break this down. So know that with eccentric, that's simultaneous with describing your landing. Your amortization phase is going to be the time you're spent on the ground, and your concentric phase is going to be, obviously, when you um, jump back up. So your, your eccentric phase is where you are preloading your muscles. So when you land from a jump, say in a plie, for example, you're inherently stretching your calf muscles. So here you have that, that stored elastic energy in the muscle and the tendons, in addition to the stimulation of the muscle spindles. And all of this is going to then contribute to muscle activity that eventually brings you back up in the um, concentric phase. So stored elastic energy, right? Think of a rubber band. If you pull it back and let it go right away versus pull it back and just hold it. Um, you're going to, and this is more so in the amortization phase next, where if you spend too much time on the ground, you may, you may lose the, you may lose the energy that's stored. That energy is going to dissipate. And so really one of the goals of plyometrics is to decrease the time in that second phase in the amortization phase, right? And essentially, you want to keep this phase short, once again, because if you're on the ground for too long, you lose that, you lose the spring, you lose the energy that you've built, and you want to utilize this energy efficiently. Your third phase is going to be your concentric phase, and this is where you utilize all, all of these aspects. So the energy stored and maximizing that reflexive contraction of the muscle, right, to send you back up. So ultimately, it's about developing an efficiency between all of these systems in order to maximize your power to, to translate over to your jumps. When you talk about sort of desensitizing, that reminds me of like some of the conversations coming out around like a, a neuromuscular or a, a neurological um, model of stretching. And, you know, we always wonder like, is that dangerous? You know, if, if these are protective mechanisms that are there to keep your body from overstretching or having excessive tension um, is there risk in sort of desensitizing them to those experiences? I think one of the things is being able to obviously decide like what is going to be safe for you. Now, if you're somebody who deals with things like uh, excessive range of motion or like joint laxity and things like that. I would, I would hope that the way that you approach your training or the way that the person you're working with to approach your training is going to be cognizant of those things. Now, when we say about, especially with the whole uh, desensitization of the GTO and protective mechanisms, it's not that you're trying to just turn it off. It's not like we're driving the car and just, you know, I can go Let faster go. if I don't have my brakes. Yeah, you're, 
you're trying to find like once again you're trying to find a good balance between these these aspects so um you're not training to desensitize that only you're also doing this in conjunction with strength training with coordination with um you know dance specific movement right or even just basic human movements your squats your single leg squats so um it's one piece of many so being able to being able to take all of those things into consideration once again for yourself and also knowing that that is something the the person you're working with is training if plyometric training is something specifically you're looking to do before we go any further um we should maybe just describe like a a couple of very classic examples of plyometrics just so that people can have something in their mind of what we're talking about when we talk about these exercises. Got it. So when we talk about plyometrics and the most common ones people may see, especially now there's all this information online and Instagram, et cetera, myself included, but um, people will see you know, people jumping on boxes, right? Like, why are they just jumping on a box? Or people jumping down from boxes, right? Or um, you have exercises that maybe instead of going for height, they're going for um, distance or stability. So people jumping side to side, like skater jumps. Um, so, so these are all different exercises that depending on how you do them and depending on how you structure it, you can address different aspects of jump of jumping. So, like I said, with in terms of I mean we were speaking about this earlier, understanding the components of of jumps, right, and how to kind of break that down, and then how to how to translate that over to dance specific activity. Jumping for a cabriole is going to be very different from jumping in petite allegro. And there are ways that you can facilitate that in terms of your um, human physical preparation. And do they always have to include a full range of motion? You know, so you've described bigger jumps, but like is hopping also considered plyometrics? You know, if you're like popscotching, <laughs> does that count yeah, as plyometrics? And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that can that can count as a form of plyometrics, and it really, once again, it really depends on on what you're working on. So, for the purpose of for the purpose of trying to achieve what your goals are, it's going to be important to make sure that those things mimic or you find that carryover. So, for example, uh, and I'm talking basics here, but you you have the if you're trying to facilitate, once again, going back to this stretch shortening cycle, right? You can either go through this fast or you can go through this slow. So um, I think we talked about like full range of motion and whatnot. So if you're doing a slow uh, stretch running cycle, this might be what we say uh, a long contact time. So your feet are going to be on the ground longer, right? And there's um, what we call uh, large angular displacement of your joints, which basically means your, mo- your joints are moving at a different angle right so you have a lot of this body movement and then you're able you're trying to produce that power to to go up so you're trying to think you know if you think about um someone trying to reach as high as they can they're obviously going to go down a little lower and there's going to be more contact with the ground and then you're going to try and push up now 
if we talk about fast uh, stretch shortening cycles and we're trying to facilitate those, then you're thinking about short contact time. So it's almost like you're bouncing off the ground, right? And in this case, you're not going to get that deep. You're not going to go through that deep squat. You're not going to you know, bring all your, your uh, chest all the way down to be able to produce this force, but you're trying to go as quick as possible and you're trying to react as fast as possible to kind of bounce off the ground. So um, exercises you might see people do for this would be, you know, they have two boxes set up. Uh, they may jump off one box and they'll, you know, go off the ground really quick to land on the second box. Great. And um, you've just mentioned already a couple of ballet jumps and um, I don't want to embarrass you here, Rob, but Rob's actually like quite an expert hip hop dancer and breaker. (laughs) And um, so as a hip hopper and a breaker, um, do you also want to talk about the fact that we can probably jump onto other limbs or parts of our body as well, right? So um, plyometrics, do they have to begin and end on the feet or can you do plyometrics for your upper body or your head and neck, I guess, also, if you're a breaker. <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah, I mean, plyometrics, you know, I, when you feel like plyometrics of the head and neck, I think of like those really gym videos that you see people like attaching random things to their head and moving their neck. But um, yeah, mo- mostly I think plyometrics, people think about like the jumping aspect. There's not as much research in the upper extremities but there is there are protocols for this and in my experience i'm working with dancers and then personally as well i guess as uh the from the hip-hop slash breaking b-boying side of things um i think that you know you can definitely implement concepts like that because you're thinking about having to produce enough power to um push off Right. So in the context of my experience with breaking and training as a breaker um, and full disclosure, these were not concepts that I knew uh, when I was a breaker. And so when I was a breaker, a lot of this was like trial and error. But in my brain, I was always thinking like, well, if I need to be able to pop up fast, then I guess I would just need to train and work my way up to popping up fast. (laughs) So that was kind of my mentality. So um, and and I think, um, so in the, in the context of breaking, yes, you know, being able to, to push off, being able to transition between different parts of your body. So if I'm thinking about uh, going from my shoulder, popping up to my elbow, popping up to my uh, hands, right? Um, yes, I'm kicking up with my legs, but at the same time, I'm also having to really train that burst of power in my extremities to be able to have the, the, um, to be able to have the force to, to obviously hit the shapes that I want to hit. Um, I will say that in recent years, especially like the last five or six years, there's been more and more transition of floor work, groundwork, upper extremity movements into the, um, especially in the contemporary dance world. Mm-hmm. And and I would say more often than not, I see issues with dancers either less with pushing off the ground and more with landing. Yeah. So and the, and this is going to be important with plyometrics too. So in terms of like a progression, even with the upper extremities, you know, I'm 
generally not going to start, actually, I'm not going to start with somebody just, all right, let's just jump as high as you can and see where we go. Um, the you know, what goes up must come down. Right. Um, and if, and if somebody isn't able to land properly, then that means that if you're not landing properly, you're not setting yourself up properly for whatever's going to come next, which might be another jump, right? So, so bringing it back to upper extremities, what we sometimes find a lot is like elbow and wrist issues, but that's because if I'm not using my large shoulder muscles to be able to negotiate the force of my torso falling forward and catching the ground, all that force is just going to go up into my my smaller joints right um so so i think in terms of plyometrics when we talk about plyometrics and we talk about upper extremity my immediate thought is you got to learn how to land and there there are ways to efficiently do that um but you know it's not necessarily something people i think think about right off the bat especially when they're core guys and this is not not to say that like people don't care or anything like that but you know, something to think about if, you know, we're choreographing or we're teaching, um, thinking about instead of just like, oh, and then you're going to line on your arms and then do this role, or you're going to line your arms and do this. Thinking about how am I landing on my arms and how am I, you know, trying to keep my dancers safe in terms of these different types of movements. And especially if they're younger than these maybe more novel movements, right? Um, do you also want to talk about cardio here? I think the important thing to realize about plyometric exercises, ultimately the purpose of it is going to be about generating power. And we generate power by, you know, obviously more of these neuromuscular connections and more coordination and um, facilitating movements through the brain. But I would probably say that plyometric Plyometric training is not um, synonymous with cardiorespiratory training. Like you can use jumping movements for cardio by all means, like with, you know, jump ropes. You normally wouldn't use plyometrics for cardio. I'm not going to jump as hard as I can until my heart rate is at a certain, uh, my, my desired um, submaximal heart rate, right? You're going to injure yourself probably then. <laughs> Well, yeah, and plus, like, how 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 many times are you going to have to jump to do that? And then, you know, we talk about you're you're going you're probably going to fatigue before you even reach the your desired heart rate. And if you fatigue and then you continue to do these activities, you know, you're you're facilitating patterns that are not going to be beneficial for you. In fact, it might be might contribute to more more injury or exacerbate injury. Um, so, so I think with plyometrics, you know, being a part of resistance exercises, I think that it's important to realize that resistance exercise does allow for, you know, improved cardiovascular health. And, um, you know, if you participate in it long enough, I'm sure that there is going to be propagation of, you know, blood vessels and things like that to be able to maintain the ability for your muscles to perform the way it does, you know, you're, you're reacting, your body's going to react to the demands that you place on it. So um, it will do that. But for the purpose of, like I said, one more time, you're not going to use plyometrics for cardiovascular purposes. 
Um, good. So I think we we established sort of what plyometrics are and and laid the groundwork there. Let's get into more dance specific things. Um, so let's talk about how athletes are using plyometrics and then talk about how dancers could use plyometrics and why it's beneficial for dancers. Yeah. Um, so it's really well documented in all the research and sports literature that, you know, plyometrics as part of the, the sport athletes training is beneficial. And I think what's important for um, dancers, especially to realize too, is that when we talk about, um, when we talk about training and sports, more often than not, you know, they are training not just with their sport, but their training components of their sport. So you're, you're really looking to improve uh, performance factors, like as a human. So like, you know, just jumping straight up and down. If, if as a person in neutral positions, you can kind of just do, uh, you know, looking at straight vertical height, um, that would be considered like a performance factor. It doesn't look right dance specific, but you're using the muscles and you're, you're putting the types of loads on your body that you may be required to, to, to handle or required to use to perform these activities. So, um, and especially in sports, you can, you can really see them break it down in terms of different types of motion. So obviously you have like large, uh, large jumps. Let's say if you're training for basketball, right. And you're going to have to be able to produce these large single powerful jumps. But then if we look at, um, I suppose another aspect of basketball or say like soccer, and they have to think about or football for our non-American counterparts, (laughs) um, you know, you're, you're thinking about the ability to change speed and coordination um, depending on what your, task is so you know quick jumps or quick changes of direction things like that all those require bursts of power so so my question to dancers would be this if we're thinking about you know all of a sudden you're doing a piece of work or a piece of choreography that requires you to do quick changes in direction and um are you preparing for quick changes in direction when you learn the piece or is your body already prepared to perform that as you're learning the movement, you know? And I mean, we could go all the way back to like, well, how do people prepare for choreography in the first place? But my point being that in, in the sports world and what I think what dancers can take away from it is that it's okay to train these performance factors, even though they might not look like dance, because if you're still training your body's ability, if you're training your body's ability to respond to something or react to something under certain demands, then you don't need to worry about your body having to perform this on top of maintaining aesthetics, right? You already trust that you've train your body in a way to respond to certain demands or stimuli so then you can focus totally i think i mean with plyometrics but with everything else i think that's where one of the biggest gaps still exists in our dance training is that too often we don't train we don't change how we're training to meet 
the demands of what we're performing. So, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because we, we are so diverse in what we do so much of the time, you know, like a basketball player has to do a certain set of things, but the basketball game is still pretty much the same, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it has that set of skills. Whereas in dance, like you might be doing like dances of the African diaspora on one bill and then something from ballet on the other bill and you know or something that's you know modern dance and very linear and then something that's modern dance and yeah has those quick changes of direction and and too often we yeah we don't stop and say oh there's a lot of jumping in this piece I need to specifically train with plyometrics or whatever yeah you know um the the perfect piece I think that would encompass you know why would someone want to train in plyometrics so if if we're familiar with uh the David Parsons mm. performance of Caught, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> that that entire piece, that entire piece is plyometrics, you know. But are you realistically going to have somebody go in and say, "All right, all right we're learning this piece today. I, I know you've never jumped this much before, but we're going to go." And obviously, some people have the the physical capability to do those things. Of course, all the dancers that have performed this piece have successfully been able to perform it. But what we're saying here is that what if you had like that kind of preparatory training with plyometrics to better prepare you for those types of those types of choreography or that I guess in this case specifically that piece so in in terms of in terms of how to like properly meld biometrics into dance my understanding is that this is um this is still an area that's being extensively researched and in terms of what I've been doing in terms of a rehab sense incorporating biometrics is getting people to to realize like how to use their whole body. And I would say more often than not, in my case, you getting people to use the whole body, that in itself is already new. And um, being able to do that kind of changes their, their physical self-awareness in terms of how they're using space and how they're using their muscles and whatnot. So I'm going to put you on the spot, but have you ever um, had a dancer have some very specific needs, performance needs, and come up with creative ways to turn traditional plyometric exercises into dance-specific exercises? Um, I had a performer who was, they were performing in a show where they were required to do this show like multiple times a day. And um, in order to, and, well, multiple times a day, and then, you know, four to five, days a week so um and this person had to land on the same foot um every single time from a relatively large jump so in our case it was more so about the ability to handle landing and then from his landing be able to go off in the direction that he needed to go in um so so once again it's more like an overuse um situation that we were dealing with him specifically so for him and this will go for, you know, any kind of plyometric work is that you want to have like a strong foundation. So uh, we started with square one having to go from like, hey, 
these are the muscles that not even I want you to use in a dance way. It's almost like I want you to realize that you have these muscles, you know. Um, and so we we literally started from square one to to kind of really build that awareness and build that knowledge, and and then from there progressing appropriately, going from um, you know exercises on your back and on your side to exercises like on your feet, and then from there slowly adding more and more. So you know from two two legs to one leg, and then um, in terms of plyometrics specifically, uh, we were doing things like you know, how are you controlling your, your landings first? Because, you know, unless you, unless you control your landings well, you're not going to be able to um, have a stable base to move from, right? If, if, we're, if we're landing from a jump, that landing is technically going to be your prep for the next thing. And how are you engaged through the rest of your body, right? Um, I think I gave a analogy one time to to somebody where I'm like, if you think about your body as a building, and if that building is swaying up top like crazy in like a storm or something, then all that str- all the stress is going to have to be handled at the bottom. And so that's kind of my way of illustrating to a lot of dancers in terms of the the what we call the kinetic chain, right? So your hip stability, knee stability, ankle stability, all that working together. So for him specifically, it was about finding the places where we could find stability so that when he was changing directions he was not putting excessive stress on um what we would say like more more passive tissue structures so like ligaments and joint capsules things like that so for him it was specifically about finding how to how to utilize strength and control and coordination to control your whole body to make sure that you're able to do the task um, without, uh, how to say, to be able to do the task without, um, well, I guess in my case, it would be like discomfort or pain, but to do it well, <laughs> my lack of vocabulary. Yeah. So, so we, so, yeah. So, so we basically like in, in their case specifically, it was like a large jump to the side and then they had to, if I remember correctly, it was like he had to jump onto his right foot on a single leg. And then from that single leg, he had to pivot and then jump out behind him. So if you're, if, if you're listening to this and you can follow me, what this uh, person had to do was, if you imagine jumping to the side and then landing with your toes forward and hitting a pose, and then from there having to basically turn out on your standing leg and jump backwards in a back diagonal direction, right? It's like, where are all those forces going and how can we successfully, um, I don't know, we were able to successfully at least like give them some parameters to think about. And this wasn't just about, you know, rehabbing his injury and making sure his injury went away, but we talked about warm up. We talked about um, how he was preparing himself and the other things that he was doing outside of his dance activity. We were talking about, um, when when he's on stage at some point we had to come up with modifications and so we had to say well maybe when you jump let's like point our foot in this direction a little bit and maybe that can take off some of the load for your discomfort so you can at least still perform a little bit but at that point they were they were more so like towards end stage of their um physical therapy but you know it it was i think what i'm trying to say is that all of this is going to be tailored very specifically to the person so 
So if you haven't grasped from Rob's description already, this is why it's so important to see dance specific professionals (laughs) 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 to have someone who understands the nuance of your choreography is so valuable. Um, You just sort of laid out this idea that you started him like prone and supine and sidelying and then eventually some standing things and then it's sort of like plyometrics is the icing on the cake right you do it last so what are the prerequisites all along the way you mentioned earlier in this interview like the importance of controlling you know a neutral being able to control a neutral stance or posture um what are some of the other sort of um check-ins that you do before progressing someone into plyometric training Usually for myself, um, and I think this is going to go for, um, I feel like this is talking about like plyometric training, resistance training as well, because you still, you need to build that solid foundation and you need to have that appropriate uh, strength and control. And a lot of that is going to start with weightlifting. A lot of that is going to start with, um, you know, if we're talking about making any kind of positive uh, strength change in the body, you have to put, you have to, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a progressive overload principle. You have to be able to add more demand in a way so your body knows how to respond to those things. And not only that, but it's like the way that we build strength on a physical and also neuromuscular level is by, you know, Adding more weight, adding yeah. more stress, eloding the bed, adding more demand. So, <clears throat> so my thing is, you know, if, if a, and in our case, sometimes we work with um, younger dancers who have never squatted before, right? They've, um, and when I look at a squat, it's not just about your ability to jump or, or your ability to think about your lower extremities, but I'm thinking about like, how are you, how are you thinking about your alignment and relationship from your knees to your hips, to your abdominals? Sometimes we even more often than not, we get into breathing because if I'm, if I have to breathe and stabilize in my abdominals, when I land, then I need to know how to do that when I am just not moving. Right. So, um, and then we also look at things like, we also look at things like your ability to say like, uh, balance on one foot or how well can you do how well can you stand up from a chair even with just on one leg and there are a lot of these like small tests that we'll look at to see um what it's like for for each person depending on where they are and of course within the dance population like i said more often than not you're kind of starting from square one you're like here's your squat right um i feel like as far as Things that, you know, that are like definitive, like, oh, you know, there, there aren't really any like check boxes. I feel like this is going to be depend, dependent on the person and then what they're presenting with. Um, and as far as like prerequisites, of course, it's like, you know, making sure that you're not dealing with a past injury or making sure that um, you're not dealing with some sort of um, physiological thing that may need medical intervention. You want to make sure that this is proper for you and appropriate for you so um it isn't just going and starting to jump you have to build that strong foundation you have to build that strong awareness and then be able to progress in a way that makes sense for you specifically 
So when somebody's starting, you know, I always hearing you say that last bit, it's like, you know, this really should be supervised and you should be working with someone who really understands these concepts. Mm-hmm. And we did a, we did a podcast actually about um, pathologizing movement. And I'm always a little conflicted because part of me and my trainer brain is like, you, you need to be well aligned. That's what we're coaching. We're coaching, you know, these good systems of organization. And I'm, I'm in conflict with this other side of me that's like, oh, just stand up on something and jump down. It's We do it all the time. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. like making, sometimes things can get so precious with dance training, you know? Um, yeah. So what is that balance of like, you know, can dance, dancers play around with this stuff on their own you know and then I also think oh god they're gonna like see box jump you know everybody in everybody everywhere Mm -hmm. just dancers like sees box jumps and thinks like I should be doing that shouldn't I I guess (laughs) I should be doing that (laughs) no you shouldn't necessarily um so like how do we find that middle ground between being really particular and um developing good habits and Um, designing good systemic coordination and also just sort of like moving and feeling okay with movement and playing around. So I feel like with, when, when it comes to dance, you know, we always want to promote different types of movement. I think there's a, there's a whole conversation that we could have about, you know, dance specialization and especially with like early specialization and, and how that, um, and how that, is really you know not even in dance but in youth sports like is maybe detrimental to to the movement experience of of the of the of the kid or of anybody who's um, you know in any kind of sport especially at a young age i think the part for me about anybody that i work with and about you know and if anybody here is listening really is kind of figuring out like where your like what's your self-awareness for your level of movement, right? It's obviously if I if I go out and do something, I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to go and run a 5K on the first day. Mm-hmm. I think we can all safely say that we're, we're not going to do I'm that. I'm definitely not. I'm not. Well, <laughs> well, I actually, I say that, and I'm like, I definitely know people who have done that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, um, I, I, I think being able to – I think, well, I think part, part of, well, part of what you were just indicating is like, in some ways it's not about, it's not, it doesn't have to be exclusively about form. It can also be about your awareness of your body. Are you somebody who notices those early complaints from your joints and makes note of them and responds appropriately Or are you apt to sort of dismiss those and push through? Or are you somebody who, who often misses the warning signals and then ends up with a, you know, acute injury or something? Yes. Yeah. And I I would, yeah. And I think what I, what I'm trying to get across is that as dancers, you know, like you said, people like love to push through because there's a certain feeling and a certain, um, 
a certain feeling of accomplishment or like, oh, yes, I, you know, I braved the elements and like made it through. But it's also important to be aware that if we're feeling something that, you know, if we're feeling pain or feeling discomfort, that is our body's way of telling us that, hey, something might be going on and we should probably pay attention to it, right? Um, no matter the, the severity of it. In terms of beginning plyometric training, I mean, my recommendation is always going to be find somebody who is um, well-versed in, in these types of concepts. So, you know, strength and conditioning coaches. Um, and uh, I know a lot of physical therapists have also like backgrounds in that. Um, in my case, having to deal with dancers, that's something we deal with all the time, how to ramp them up and how to make sure that I can get back to the activity safely. Um, and then um, even in terms of thinking about your movement, right? Because you can even go back and think about uh, if, if I'm just doing sautés in first position, you know, am I, am I really thinking about am I solid landing? And am I, from my solid landing, am I able to extend myself from there to produce the best quality jump I can? So there's a lot of things with alignment and stuff we could talk about even there as well, right? I think it goes back to that phrase that you used early on, which is, you know, really fundamental to cross training, which is this purposeful training idea, you know, and mm -hmm. like, and we, yeah. we can kind of look in two categories, like there can be, um, if you have a goal, then you need to be engaging in purposeful training in order to progressively move towards that goal. But, you know, if you're in more of us if your objective is more about like diversifying your movement because you are a you know tap dancer and you only do this one certain type of thing all the time or you're in a broadway show and you always do you know then like mm -hmm. the, if your goal is more about diversifying or exploring movement potential that can be done with a more like playful less um hyper-focused um, method activities. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's going to, that's going to depend. Like I said, that's going to depend too, because there are some people who may say, yeah, you know, like Pilates, gyrotonics, like all that is great. I feel like I'm more connected there. And then for some people they're like, no, I want to do like hit and I want to do like explosive things and I want to slam the med ball. So, um, yeah, I mean it's going to depend, but I guess in the in terms of in terms of what we've been talking about in terms of how, how is this going to benefit dancers who have that either specific goal of being able to develop power either in their jumps, in their movements, um, this is absolutely a way that you can you can look into and once again finding the right people to work with to to really set specific goals, right? Having a plan to, to, to make sure that you are doing things, once again, purposefully and intentionally, right? Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Final words on plyometrics. Final words. <laughs> I think that plyometrics is interesting to look at at a physiological level and then, you know, to see how it's integrated into how other schools 
or, or how other, I guess, schools of thought are incorporating into their training. So, for example, obviously in sports and whatnot. So one of the things, um, you know, we've talked about the dancer a lot. I also think it's important just in terms of dance overall is maybe even begin thinking about structure. Now, I don't think we're going to undo, you know, right off the bat, let's say 400 years of classical ballet history and class structure. But um, my, my thought is this, is that if plyometric research tells us and the way that plyometrics is programmed tells us that plyometrics is best to do like right off the bat because you're not fatigued and you can do more explosive movements better then then why do we save things for like across the floor jumps or grand allegros or um, large movements for the end of class or like towards the end of class right yep rob do you want to leave listeners with any contact info before we sign off? Do you want to tell them your email, your website, or any other resources that you think are important? Sure. Um, so you can find us on Instagram and that is my, I guess it's my company now, but um, Dance Prehab, which is uh, our, you know, we combine physical therapy, but also wellness. And we also want to help educate the community. So we're Dance Prehab on Instagram, that's D-A-N-C-E, dance. And then prehab is P-R-E-H-A-B. So like rehab, but prehab, yes. Um, and we have our website as well, www.danceprehab.com. And then if you, you know, look, we, we want to continue to create resources for the community to refer back to. So we have articles and blogs and things like that. And you know, our intention is to be able to frame, you know, this type of information in a way that's digestible to, to the general public and their dance communities. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully continue to keep dancers dancing smarter and dancing harder. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to DanceWell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation, to dance well, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.